But let's say you keep having more sugar than your body can metabolize and you keep storing more and more and more fat and you do that for 20, 30, 40 years. What eventually happens to your body? Welcome to the Dream Out Loud family where young entrepreneurs come to learn the tips, tricks and attitude of what it takes to live their dream life. I'm your host, Morgan T. Nelson, a former carpenter who created financial freedom by the age of 23 and have since spent my time traveling around the world living my dream life, inspiring, educating, and teaching other young people how they can do the same. Each and every week, I'll bring you the most epic guests who are going to share their stories, wisdom, tips, and tricks on how they've been able to create a life by design. Here at Dream Out Loud, we're committed to helping inspire and educate you to be able to execute your full potential. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode. We've got the man, the myth, the legend back for round two. Uh, Some of you, if you haven't actually listened to the episode that we did last time with Ko and Ray, you guys need to go back and listen to it after you listen to today's episode because it was just a freaking... That was like 60 minutes of absolute fire and gold you gave us. So, Cohen, I'm so freaking excited to have you back again today, mate. Welcome Thank back you. on the Dream Out Loud podcast, my friend. Thank you, brother. Um, I'm, I'm very grateful to be back here. We had a phenomenal chat first time around. Um, and yeah, I'll, I was very much looking forward to seeing you again, pal. Yes, likewise. So, man, I want to dive straight into today. Like last time, we, we, we talked so much. And when I say me, I mean mainly you. <laughs> you I think like you just gave us so much uh, i think i asked like two or three questions and it was just like fire but you know you dive really heavily into you know the psychology of the brain and and lots of things like this and really how to rewire and recode your brain for happiness and success yeah. and so today i figured you know because there is two parts of success right it's really understanding the mind but then also the strategy and actually building the business and building this life and so i really want to focus heavily today on you know hearing more story of how you've built you know, these businesses, like, cause you're literally like a freaking master at it. Like you're a ninja at scaling and growing businesses. That's what you do. Um, however, I want to kick it off as also, and let's dive into a little bit of what's been happening with you previously, because I'm sure this is probably something that not too many people are even aware of. Like we were talking mm-hmm. about it before we started recording this show and we're like, you can't even prevent this, but to, to keep a long story short and to get as much from you, but obviously you had a severe stroke over the Christmas period last year, it got freaking crazy. And we're having a big conversation about where that really stems from. So do you want to share a little bit of that for the audience? Like what, yeah, what, well, is, what is the result of a, like, how, how come this sort of happens? Well, this is the first time I've probably spoken about it on open channels. Our clients are aware of it, but I had a massive, I had a stroke in 2009. We may have talked about that in the last, in the last episode, but I had a, um, a second stroke on September 8th last year, 2021, a massive one. It was, um, quite a significant stroke which followed up with um, heart surgery in November to fix a hole in the heart that was causing these strokes and um, mate yeah it was just one of those situations where you know life delivers you you know I call it feathers bricks and trucks you know I'd been tickled here and there and I knew there was something that I needed to address and you know I had some some fairly decent knocks along the way that were trying to point me towards dealing with you know some stuff that was what going what on. were these what what were the feathers and and the bricks well just like sometimes you just know that there's something not right you know what i mean and right. and i'd known for a long time that there was something not right i knew i had this well of anger that was just for some reason it would always sit there and um you know i'd learned how to and as i was saying before you know i'd learned how to regulate my psychology i'd learned how to regulate my emotions 
you know, I'd learn how to regulate my biology and my physiology. And so I'd learn how to manage, you know, this feeling of there's this bit of anger there and I don't understand why it's coming out. But what I started to realize was where it was coming out was quite obvious. And that's where we start talking about bricks. You know, I knew the anger was there. I was really good at um, masking it in public um, situations because for the most part, I knew how to regulate my emotions. I knew how to regulate the psychology. And so I could essentially, you know, stuff it down the tube. But when I was in intimate context, you know, and and by intimate context, I'm referring to in this context, like um, intimacy with uh, my partner, it just seemed to be a lot more accessible and a lot more available, that anger. Um, and by virtue of that, I was like, I couldn't understand why is that anger still there? You know, why does my partner's daughter make me so angry? And, you know, why does certain situations that are, think, that are said and done, why do they trigger me to such a degree where I feel feel this level of, you know, it's well beyond frustration to the point where it's, you know, it was steaming anger. And it wasn't always coming out in, um, I guess you could say, it wasn't always coming out, but it was there. It was there. I'd feel it. I'd steam up and I'd, you know, I'd have to go away to my little corner and I'd have to calm myself down and regulate myself, regulate myself. But what I've realized on reflection and the truck was uh, the stroke. And what I realized on reflection is, yeah, I had a lot of anger there. But I wasn't allowing myself to experience the anger. I wasn't allowing myself to feel the anger. And, um, you know, one of the things I've started to realize is um, any emotion that we have is, you know, essentially a, a product of an experience. And those emotions that we feel, you know, we might may have talked about this in our last episode. They, they are the things that we feel are neural peptides. So, you know, our brain perceives an experience. It then tickles this little gland in the brain called the hypothalamus that releases a combination of neural peptides. Those peptides go down through the pituitary gland into the bloodstream and they connect with every cell in our body. Skin cells, every single thing that you are made of is cellular. And every cell has receptors. And those receptors pick up these peptides and they lock in and they essentially change the way that these cells vibrate and operate. But you know, you're a trainer, you know, you, you're a fit guy, you know, you've probably heard about you know, the importance of peptides in our body. You know, people, some people, even elite athletes, you know, they, they engage in peptide therapy. And a peptide is a protein. And a protein, like any other substance in the body that is utilized, anything that is utilized in the, in the body gets metabolized. And so one of the things that I've learned is through this experience is emotions are metabolites. And if we don't met- fully metabolize an emotional experience, just like if you eat too much sugar, Morgan, what happens? What does that sugar do? If you have more sugar than your body can process, more sugar than your body can utilize, what does the body do with that sugar? It turns into fat, doesn't it? Yeah, it converts it into another, into another form of energy, but then it stores it in the body. But let's say you keep having more sugar than your body can metabolize and you keep storing more and more and more fat and you do that for 20, 30, 40 years. What eventually happens to your body? I don't know. <laughs> Well, it gets sick. It starts yeah. to get sick because you, all of a sudden you have now had this excess weight which starts producing its own range of biological and biophysical and neurological and neurophysical and, neuro, and neurochemical responses. And this is what I've learned. If we don't fully metabolize a substance in our body, it gets stored and oftentimes stored in other parts of the body that you know it wasn't even intended to. And so what I learned with this anger is this anger wasn't being metabolized. And the experience that the anger was related to hadn't been resolved. It was It was a wound. And, um, you know, when we don't metabolize a peptide, when we don't metabolize a protein, when we don't metabolize, you know, a metabolite, it gets stored and it gets stored in tissue. And if that builds up, it builds up to a point where at some point it's going to create a level of dysfunction or the, the, the organs or the tissues are no longer going to be working and operating in a state of ease. They're going to now be working in a state of disease or dysfunction. 
And so this is not so much a long story short, is it? Um, <laughs> are we cool? <laughs> Great, mate. Okay. And so what I realized was I had this anger and I wasn't metabolizing this anger. I was regulating the anger, but not in a, in a way where it was being metabolized, where it was being suppressed. But it wasn't even about the anger. You know, what I've discovered since the work that I've done, and I've done an enormous amount, like while I've been in my recovery, I've done more personal work in recovery than I've done. I've done more personal work in the last six months than I've probably done in the last probably 10 years. Wow. Um, but this work is completely different. And as I said to you, the work that I've done previously is personal development, psychological development, you know, neurological development. I'd learn how to regulate the mind. You know, I'd learn how to regulate the, 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 the neurology, the psychology, and all of those components. I'd learn how to regulate the body, the biology. I'd learn how to get my body to do the things that I wanted it to do. I'd learned how to push through, deal with stress and everything else. But what I hadn't learned how to do was how to go beyond the peripheral layers of the psychology and the biology to the deeper levels of the soul and go, okay, what does my soul need to do right now? What is the work that my soul needs to do? And it was almost like the layers. I did the top layer, the psychology, the next layer, which is the biology, the next layer, which is the physiology, and all of the components and systems that operate off that. But I kept on you know, pushing up against the point where I was like, I've done all this work, but I still don't feel like I'm complete. Uh, and this anger was just a symptom of a wound, you know, and a wound, you know, is in normally an experience where we have an experience that is produces such an unbearable level of emotion that our body goes, this is unbearable. This doesn't feel right. So what we're going to do is we're going to help you forget. And by forgetting, you won't have to experience this emotion, but it's going to sit there somewhere in your body. Okay. And it's going to mm. produce symptoms you know, in your psychology, symptoms in your biology, symptoms in your expression that are going to let you know that there's something there that when you're ready, you're going to have to work on it. So, the, me, brain, the brain generalized deletes and distorts. Oh, so, you, so are you it, saying... It, so, my so, brain literally put it in a fucking... It compartmentalized. Yeah. <laughs> like it literally compartmentalized. It put yeah, it in, yeah, a little yeah. fucking, in a little fucking... In a little prison. And it's going, I'm not going to make you feel this because that experience yeah. was just so devastating. That experience was so traumatic that I think it's best for now because as a as a as a six year old, seven year old, eight year old, nine year old little boy, that's that's heavy. That's a yeah. heavy emotion. That's a heavy experience for you to for you to process. So you know what? We won't we won't we won't force you to process it now. We'll 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 save it for later. So and most people never process it. Yeah. So so what are you saying is so on a psychological level, our brain you know deletes distorts and generalized information so it deletes yeah. something but it still gets stored in oh, your biology there. is that what you're saying oh, yeah but it's it, it might delete it but it's like a fucking hard drive you can still it's still there you get a forensic fucking expert to go and look at your hard drive all that porn that you thought you deleted it's still there <laughs> you know everything you think you've deleted off your hard drive it's still there there's right. still an echo in there mm. okay. so so when we talk about so obviously because this isn't something new to you like this is part of the big work that you do like teach people how to tap in all this stuff so no 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 this this work that i've done is new this is very right. new work this so i'd love work. to know the difference of what you thought you've been doing and what you've learned now right because when you said like you know when you yeah. when you've expressed anger in the past right you know the anger comes and you're like hmm, where does this come from and you ask the questions and i think that's what we all do right and at that time you thought you were doing what was the right thing so what is the diff what what's the new learnings you've had from this experience there's a difference between treating the symptoms and the cause you know uncontrollable emotions are symptomatic of a wound or an experience because here's what i've learned when we experience a wound and this is what i was getting to when we, when we experience a trauma and a trauma is any time when we experience an emotional response which is so unbearable the brain goes we're just going to park this somewhere else and we're, we're going to prevent you from remembering it but what that what that does when it parks it it doesn't get rid of the wound it just puts it somewhere else it puts it out of out of out of visibility and that's what we call it puts it in the dark Okay, and that darkness 
that it sits in festers. And then as it festers, it starts to release pus. It starts to release toxins. And that pus and those toxins get expressed in terms of unhealthy behaviors, in terms of dysregulation, in terms of you know, things that we can't control, impulses that we can't deny, you know, in a range of different models. And this is still very new for me. And so I'm still learning how to articulate mm. this if I'm completely honest. But what I started to realize was my darkness was nothing more than the absence of light on wounds that I didn't know were there. So when I was expressing anger that I couldn't control, that was my darkness coming out, right? And we're, you know, we're, we, we've got it all, right? We've got our light, we've got our dark. But most people don't want to hold the space for dark. And I was just fortunate enough to have found myself in a soulmate union with a woman who held such an incredibly powerful space and was such an incredibly powerful mirror that she kept on reflecting these things, these symptoms to me to such a level where it built up such a level of intensity that I broke. I completely broke and I went beyond the anger. And I was like, okay, what's below the anger? And what I discovered was sadness. And so I started to metabolize the sadness. And what was below the sadness? It was grief. So I started to metabolize the grief and started to allow myself to feel grief. Like I'd be completely overwhelmed, completely overwhelmed with sadness, completely overwhelmed with grief to the point where I'm just losing it. And I was like, but I don't even know why. But then once I allowed myself to experience these emotions, then the memory popped out. Mm. And then I was like, ha. Ah. And so then I could actually process the memory. And by virtue of the memory being allowed to be under light, so what happens when you shine light on the darkness? Goes the darkness light. starts to the darkness resolves. Yeah. Okay. And so when it when a wound stays in darkness, it festers. But when a wound has light put upon it, when you take if you've got a cut and you put it in the sun, what does that increase the probability of doing? Healing. Healing. Yeah. And so, by virtue of me finding the memory, by finding and shining light on the darkness and following the dark, and it was almost like the dark was the breadcrumbs, by following the darkness, following the darkness, following mm -hmm. the darkness, going deeper and deeper and deeper into my darkness, I found the wound. And once I found the wound, then I could process it, then I could resolve it, and then I could you know, look at it for what it was, which is just an experience, not good or bad, okay, but our brain makes it so. And then feel the emotions associated with that experience. You know, feel the emotions that the eight-year-old couldn't handle. Feel the emotions that the eight-year-old couldn't couldn't manage, couldn't, couldn't contain, didn't know how to process because it was just so devastating that, um, yeah, he didn't know what to do with it other than forget. Yeah, absolutely. So this is so fascinating. Is this what you call shadow work? Is this, is yes. this shadow work? Okay. Can you explain <laughs> this for us? Cause I've heard oh, fuck, of this I'm, before, I'm but I... training wheels on brother. Okay. Look, oh, that's okay. Let's explore listen. together. Cause I, okay, if somebody cool. asked me what shadow work, I'd be like, I don't actually know. Like I might have done it, but I'm not sure that the thing I've done well, is called I thought that. I had done shadow work. I thought I understood shadow work until I did the shadow work. And the shadow work is literally looking at the darkest parts of who you are with nothing but absolute unbiased humility and being curious. Mm. where did that come from? So it's like a different perspective. Dark, yeah, because oftentimes when I And this is, this is beyond psychology. This is cellular work. This isn't... So, and, so, and by the way, you know, a psychology is a product of the soul. So the psychology will only ever be a symptom of what's going on at a soul level. And what I learned was when you start doing the shadow work, and again, training wheels here, you know, disclaimer, I'm still learning. I'm an infant in this space. It's about following the darkness and looking at those dark expressions, but not because here's the thing. Oftentimes when we experience anger, we go, well, I'm only angry because this person did that. Mm. And that's not exploring your darkness. That's blaming your darkness on somebody else. That's reflecting yeah. your darkness on somebody else and saying, well, no, I'm only dark because of this person. I'm only dark when this happens. And a lot of our dark is justified by our psychology because we want to rationalize our expressions and our behaviors because we don't want to feel like we are the cause of all of our problems because that's a too much responsibility for some people. And so it's not until we start accepting everything as anything that is in your field of observation, anything that is in your field of awareness is in your field of creation. And so you're either 
creating something directly or you're a co-creator in an experience. And if you are either a creator or a co-creator, then that's within your field. That's just, that's within your field of, of awareness. It's within your field of responsibility. And so if you're co-creating something, that's in your field of responsibility. If you are creating something, that's absolutely in your extreme field of responsibility. But it's not until we can look at that darkness and go, well, fuck, that's me. No, 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 it's not mum. No, 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 it's not. And, and maybe it came from an experience with mum. Maybe and it came from an experience with dad. But now that I'm aware of it, I can sit there and go, honestly, okay, it's not my fault. No, it's not my fault, but it's my creation. So it's now my responsibility to do mm. something about it. And so yeah. w- what I've learned about the shadow work is it's about just with total humility and unbiased non-objection and non-judgment, looking at the worst parts of who you are and your expressions. Because that takes a lot. Some people go, well, I'm not really a dark person. Oh, well, maybe you don't think you are, but I can guarantee you have dark expression somewhere. Yeah. And how curious are you from where that comes from? And this mm. is what I've learned. As kids, we experience trauma. And that trauma is often produces an unbearable emotion. And that unbearable emotion then creates a compartmentalization at a psychological level and put into the dark. And then that darkness starts to fester that wound. And then the wound has symptoms. You know, it's often like disease. You know, most people don't know that they're dying in, until it's too late. Why? Because they ignored the symptoms. You know, the symptoms were there the whole time. They just ignored them. And their doctor gave them medication to, to suppress the symptoms. You know, most forms of medical intervention these days, it doesn't treat the, the cause of a problem. It treats the symptom of the problem so that the cause gets worked. So the medical interventions required is more drastic, more expensive, you know, more dramatic in a sense. And so, yeah shadow work for me as I'm learning with my training wheels on is the exploration of the darkest parts of who we are. Yeah. Curiosity, not with judgment. That's some fascinating stuff. So what what would be your advice to somebody to sort of start to deal? Like if you could go back and tell your 20 year old self or even 30 year old self, you know, like, like (laughs) I wasn't ready at the age of 20. (laughs) I wasn't emotionally mature enough at the age of 20. Yeah. I wasn't personally responsible enough at the age of 20. I've only just reached you know, the level of emotional maturity that was capable to do this work at 47. Otherwise, I would have done it sooner. And if I was to go back to myself at the age of 20, I'd say, mate, keep going. Keep going. Because I know everything I did led me to where I am. Yeah. Although it almost killed me twice. You know, in 2009, that was a symptom. 2009, it was there. You know, when I had the first stroke in 2009, it was there. I just went into deeper levels of psychology. I got exposed to, through that stroke, you know, quantum dynamics and particle physics and aspects of, I guess you could say, creator expression and understanding creator expression but I, I hadn't been exposed I'd been exposed to the creator but not to the soul and my first en- stroke in back in 2009 I actually had what's called an NDE which is a near-death experience like I actually had a conversation with creator I asked a lot of big questions around why are we here what's the meaning of life and you know creator showed me a whole bunch of stuff that I now teach you know in a range of different ways that relate from the psychology and the neurology and that relate from those psychology and neurology to the biology and the physiology that relate to those things to the Newtonian space and then how all of those things cascade from the psychology and the neurology and the biology and the physiology to the Newtonian expression to the quantum world. And the quantum world is where creation comes from. Like everything is born from the quantum space, you know, the, the metaphysical space. But it, we've got to understand the connection between our soul and the quantum world is, is greatest. You know, our psychology connects really well with the Newtonian space, okay, because it's predictable. You know, there are a lot of things that we can do at a psychological level that create predictable behavior. But just because you can get some program someone to, to cluck like a chicken or bark like a dog doesn't mean that you can program, program them to heal. And by the way, you're, in most cases, what I'm learning is your soul will attract the wounds that are required for you to heal that often, in some cases, are just 
a secondary gain from an ancestral line. So, you, I, you know, the wounds that I've picked up along the way, you know, I can sit there and point my finger and say, well, okay, it's not my fault. It, it wasn't my fault, which it wasn't, but it's now my responsibility. Yeah. But was it my mum's fault? No. Because she inherited those wounds as well. Was it my dad's fault? No, he inherited those wounds as well for the most part. And this is where we start looking at, you know, some psychological constructs around constellation therapy. And constellation therapy is understanding the how wounds get passed down through epigenetics. You know, how ancestral trauma is a real thing. Yeah. You know, the indigenous <laughs> tribes have known this for a very long time. Women have known this for a very long time. You know, ancestral trauma gets passed down from generation to generation to generation, just like behaviors do, just like values do. Yeah. This is passed down at a cellular level. You know, it's interesting. I've got a friend right now who um, adopted, uh, not adopted, they um, they did uh, surrogacy. And, um, you know, I, I won't go into too much detail, but, you know, he donated his sperm. The surrogate donated their egg. Um, she, you know, was artificially inseminated. So it was part him, part her, the surrogate. But what's really interesting is it's being brought up by, you know, he and his wife. Now, his wife didn't actually provide the egg. But what's interesting is the expression that this young girl has around the trauma that her mother, her biological mother experienced and the trauma that her biological mother's mother, her, in essence, biological grandmother experienced is now being expressed symptomatically through her. Mm. You know, and this is, you know, this is new field. There's a great book called It Didn't Start With You for those people who need, you know, grounding in science. Uh, it's constellation therapy where we start looking at how are these things handed down and within the constellation of these family units. Yeah, this something is kind of new to me. Like in the last, uh, I think since last time we spoke, actually, I dived into all that. Just because I love diving into the unknown, uh, we we did a constellation. I had no fucking idea what I was in for because I was just like, oh yeah, we'll give we'll give it this thing a crack. And um, yeah, you're telling me generation, gen, I can't even say that word, generationally trauma. Generational that shit trauma. comes out. While I was sitting in the, in the thing, like I can't even go into it on the podcast because a lot of you would be like. Morgan, what the fuck are you talking about? Because it's not where I go on, on episodes, but it was like the shit that was coming. I was sitting in the circle, not talking about it for so long. So I was like, this can't be a thing. This can't be like, because the logic, I was like, that can't be. And then it just, I was like, but what if it is? I remember asking myself, what if this is and how would you express it? And it came out. And then I was like, this makes no fucking sense. But then on a science level, it I'm kind of does. Of you, I'm fucking proud of you. Can <laughs> I just say hand on heart that you actually listened to what I said? You went and did some work. I'm so fucking proud of you, mate. Well done. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was <laughs> interesting. Um, you know, and but then it kind of makes sense when we think on how everything's energy. Energy can't be created or destroyed. So true? it makes a lot of sense for it to be passed down. It makes a lot of sense how there could be the past lives and ancestral trauma and all this sort of stuff. And then we're living this life right now going, well, my, my life has been fine. There's never, you know, had a perfect family, blah, blah, blah. But we might be holding stuff from five generations ago that, you know, we were not aware of until, you know, it's too late or until we get curious enough to dive in. Right. Beautiful. A hundred percent bang on. But the thing, and the shadow work should come with a disclaimer. It's not for the faint hearted. It is absolutely not for the faint hearted. It has taken me, and strip me back to my absolute foundations where I've some days literally walked through the world in the last few months not knowing who the fuck I was anymore. Like literally, I was like having the question of who the fuck is Kerwin now? Now that I've stripped all... because st- The thing that I've learned with the work that I've done, because as I was stripping back all the darkness, I started to strip back all the light as well. You know, back uh, to the, the core of my... You know, what is the purest version of, of my soul? 
And even saying this now, it still sounds weird because this is not even my language typically. And I don't talk, I don't do, I don't, I haven't spoken about soul work up until this point. But um, when you strip yourself back and you don't know who you are anymore, that is really fucking confronting. Like I was, I was, I've, I would hand on heart say for the first time in my life, I've actually experienced depression and I've never been someone, I've always, and you know, I've experienced fucking lots of things I can put a, a label on myself for, ADHD, dyslexia, you know, complex PTSD, ADHD, fucking OCD. But now I can sit there and go, you know what? I now know what it feels like to experience depression because when I didn't know who I was anymore, I started to get really depressed. I started to go, well, who the fuck am I if I'm no one anymore? And I became, I had to sit, sit in this no oneness, this nothingness of identity um, to the point where, you know, I was experiencing so much pain that I had suppressed. And I had a fucking ton. Like, I, I was amazed at how much fucking shit I had stuffed down there. And as I'm experiencing it, all I wanted to do was stop. And for the first time in my life, I experienced depression. And for the first time in my life, I contemplated suicide. Hmm. And not because I'm a suicidal person, but because the pain was so great of the confronting of the wounds, of the memories, of the, the, the traumatic experience that it felt so bad. I was like, no wonder I wanted to forget this shit because I, want to, I literally now in this moment am contemplating killing myself versus having to feel it. Yeah, this is, this is um, some wild stuff. Not um, where we thought we were going to go, is it? No, well, hey, we, we never know where we're going to go. I was just going to ask them, oh, what I was curious on, um, you're familiar with like values levels and spiral and stuff like that? Yep. Do you think this awesome. is also a big transition as well? Because that's a big thing, right? Because it's like values level six and seven is often like a, what the fuck actually is everything anymore? You know, you've gone through the big, you've grown a lot of businesses, you've made a lot of money, heavy values level five. Do you think this is transitioning into you know six and seven or, or more or he's referring to spiral dynamics paul yeah um um let me just get the 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 um the the levels up here so i can have a little bit of a look yeah so so five so for people listening this is like this is like some deep 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 stuff but um i go heavy into this in my advanced leadership programs we go into this because it's really about understanding where people actually are and what's the right thing for people right right now and transitioning consciousness right but you know, level five is heavy in, you know, the up grind, up, the making the money. Four. Second in, down. Yeah, that one. Yeah, <laughs> now blow that one up. Sorry, mate. I just want to. Okay, You're here right. we go. Oh, no, that's not it. Oh, energy, synergy, holism. No, that's not quite right. All right. So say that again, mate. Ask that question again. I apologize. I was just. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So, so just, I'm just curious if like, because I'm just very curious about, you know, the things that you've been curious on the last since this whole uh, things happen, right? And, and it sounds like a lot of the stuff you're saying, it's, um, you know, talking about the depression, the suicide. It's a common, well, not a common thing, but it's a thing that could, can happen when people transition from phase level five into six and seven, where it's a, it's a left of like a, okay, I've done all the cool things. I've made all the money. I've yeah. done the stuff. And now it's like, well, what the fuck is everything? And why is, what's the point? And I was just curious to know if you've thought about it in that space yet. I hadn't, and I'm glad you. Did. I'm glad you introduced this because I was only talking about spiral the other night with my with my partner, uh, and now that I'm looking at it again, I'm like, wow, yeah, 100% right. Because I literally got to the point where, you know, I'd gone through instinctive, you know, through mm -hmm. the magical, through the power and the domination, through the the order and the authoritarian, the achievement and the competitive nature of myself, and I did everything that I wanted to do. You know, I mm -hmm. literally had done everything that I've wanted to do in my life. Um, and I got to the point while I was going through this work where I actually considered 
shutting everything down. Yeah. Like actually just shutting everything down and going, all I want to do is sit on my farm because I just bought myself a farm. My dream house, 20 years in the making, bought myself a farm and I was like, all I want to do is sit on the farm, buy lots of animals and hang out with my kids. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it is an absolute transition. But then I've realized, you know, uh, when we start looking at eight, there's a big, I still have a big vision. Mm-hmm. You know, I still mm-hmm. have this really big vision that, and again, it's, and I'm going to share some stuff with you I haven't shared with anyone else. Um, back in 2019, um, I had um, an experience in um, a Mexican restaurant in Dogtown in Los Angeles, which is just near Santa Monica. I was with my, my filmmaker, Matthias, Holm, Holm, Matthias Holmblom. I'd, have you seen that interview with Peter Crone where he does a healing with me in my eyes? I have these big red eyes and I do no. this healing with Peter Crone. So anyway, is this on, is on YouTube or? It's on YouTube. It's one of my podcasts where I interviewed Peter Crone and I had these, I had um, periorbital dermatitis, really, really bad at the time. And it was, my eyes just looked really fucking red and angry and it was really itchy. And it was, and anyway, I was doing this session with him and then I just asked him this question about what it is. And he's, he's like, fucking, it's anger. Mm. <laughs> he said, you got too much anger, too much fire. And it was related to my childhood and, and we, we zeroed it in a little bit. But then anyway, within like 45 minutes, my eyes just went almost fucking white. Like they, they cleared up and by the next day, it was almost completely gone. And so that night, um, after the, the, set, the podcast with Peter Crone, I was in this Mexican restaurant with Matias. And, um, you know, we, I, I was drinking a margarita and I just hit my vape and so I was feeling pretty good. And um, then all of a sudden out of nowhere, I just said to Matias, it, it, something just struck me and I said to Matias, holy shit, I now, know, I now know what I need to do. And he said, what do you need to do? And I just burst into tears. And I just I had literally had my hand, and Matthias pulled his phone out and started filming because we didn't have the camera there. And I just started crying. And I was probably crying for at least 25 minutes. And I'm pretty sure the, 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 the waiter at the Mexican restaurant thought we we're having some kind of a lover's tiff. But all I could do was sob because I was just being fed this vision. And it was so big and it was so grand and it was just so big. It was like fucking global it was massive it was huge and i was just crying uncontrollably because it was just i couldn't ho- i felt like i couldn't hold the space for it mm. i felt like and i kept on saying to myself this isn't mine this is somebody else's this is not mine this is somebody else's this is not mine this is not, but it's like i'm but i'm the one seeing this right now and i, I came out with a, with a couple of understandings and I'm, I'm still not comfortable to share everything from the vision but two things that came out of the vision was this seeing what's going to transition in the next 400 years uh, and the second thing was knowing that I have to just write two books. I just have to write two books. I'd be happy with just one at the moment, but two books is all I have to do. And then I literally, for the next four days, I went into this spiral of denial. That's not mine. It's fucking return to sender. I got the wrong, it's, you know, that was meant for somebody else. And I just, I just didn't feel like I had the capacity to, um, to do it. But as I've pulled everything back and as I've started to strip down to these soul, soul layers, I'm starting to see, fuck, that was my, my vision. Because mm. then I was like denying it, denying it, denying it, and that was in I think September, and then I in January I was in Byron Bay, where I am now, but I was just here uh, doing a, a juice fast, a cleanse for a week, and I was doing breath work every day and meditation every day and all these different sound healings every single day, and I went to the beach on the last day and I jumped into the water and I I headbutted a sandbar like I, I thought I'd broke I thought I'd broke my neck I jumped in so hard into the water I didn't see a sandbar there split myself right down the middle. And then I pulled myself out of the water and then I started to have hallucinations for the next three days. Uh, and this is ju- uh, January, it's early February. This is just before COVID fucking broke out. Yeah. Um, and I 
all I can assume is I, I hit something that just started to leak DMT in my brain. I, 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 I clearly, it was a very DMT-esque. I was seeing fractals and I was seeing code and, you know, I was sitting in the Ballina airport with you know, this massive cut on my forehead and I just kept on seeing these. And for the next few months, and this is why, you know, people say to me, how come you were so ahead of what happened with COVID? Because we shut our... You know, we did everything that we needed to do three weeks before the, the rest of the, the country in Australia did. And people often say to me, how come you knew what was happening? And I, and I often refer to, well, I was, you know, I had an intelligence division at the time. We were amassing an enormous amount of data. But the truth was, I was getting the visions of what was going to happen. Wow. And I was getting these visions of what was going to happen associated with this vision of what had happened in September after the crone healing. But I just, again, I was going into denial, deny, 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 deny. And then... You, what what you suppress gets expressed in unhealthy ways, and then sure enough, you know, let's call it two years later or, or eighteen months later, boom, the stroke happens, and it all comes flooding back again. This is really cool. Um, definitely not where we thought we were going to go, but this is really <laughs> fascinating. But and and I'm really curious. Um, dive in. I'm really curious to hear from you, Karen. So like, curious on whole spirals and viral. Um, values levels and everything i'm curious let, let me know like dive into that and explore that and hit us like i'm very curious to know because it sounds like it's big transitioning like well, six and seven and eight I'm, I'm yeah it's a six you're 100 bang on and that's yeah. what i was going it's a six seven eight transition right now and yeah. it's almost like the three are kind of um intersecting yeah because the more soul work i do the more purity that i'm feeling my expression is coming from and the easier it is for me to hold this vision of, mm -hmm. of what i've been given to do yeah which um, is because it's thinking like it's going from like nationally and and, and here oh, it's, to it's, globally it's, and it's like it, there is no logic to this vision whatsoever yeah, there is yeah. absolutely zero logic <laughs> to this vision like it's a 400 year vision mate yeah yeah and i'm like fucking toyota only plans for like i think toyota plans <laughs> for 400 years i'm not you know i'm not toyota it's now the more because there was so much denial in the vision. I was like, "There's no way I can possibly do this. I'm not that person. I couldn't possibly." But now, as I'm starting to strip everything back, I'm starting yeah. to go, "Well, maybe I can." Yeah. And yeah. and you know, as one of my clients said to me when I started to have these experiences, and I started being shown these things, I was like, "I can't do that. Uh, this isn't me." And he literally said to me, "But what if it is you? What if this is you? What if this? What if this has chosen you? What if this is you? What if it is true?" Mm. As soon as he said that, I was like, "Fuck." And he said, look, just keep asking that question. What if it's true? Mm. What if it's true? What if it is you? What if this is what you're here to do? And the more I sit with that, the easier it is becoming to... It's still a big thing. It's still a massive pill to swallow. And I'm, I'll be honest, I'm still gagging on it a bit. But I'm becoming a lot more receptive to the possibility. But when I look at the spiral and, you know, I see it here right now, you know, because it is literally a relation between human... Because it's very much based on communities. It's very much based on, I guess you could say, what I would reveal is the reinvention of civilization. Like, how yeah. do we? Because yeah. the way we're civilizing right now, the way that we're relating right now, it's clear that you know we're reaching a, a stage in humanity where things aren't working. Yeah. The systems that once worked aren't working anymore. Democracy isn't working the way it used to work anymore. Systems of government aren't working, and the way that they work used to work anymore. And so things have to change. And so we ha literally have to reinvent the way that we civilize. But one of the things that I'm really realizing at the core of that reinvention is community. At the core of that reinvention yeah. is humanity, you know, and yeah. the way we relate and going back to the things that aren't broken. And the things that aren't broken is, you know, we see this with the floods. You know, we see this, you know, in some parts with your, 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 what's going on in Ukraine, but the floods are really evident because yeah, right now I'm in, the, I'm, in the, I'm in the thick of it up here in northern mm -hmm. New South Wales. And I've seen firsthand my team have been involved in, in massive amounts of recovery evidence. We've been involved in fundraising and really providing as much visibility and support as we possibly can in, in the context that we can. 
And, you know, I, I set off two posts the other day, you know, having a real strong go at Scott Morrison. You I know. showed it. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and the Dominic, I can't even pronounce his last name, the, the yeah. premier. And, um, you know, I, I've copped a lot of heat over those posts. You know, people saying, well, don't you know there's 5,000 ADF that have been deployed? So, well, where the mm. fuck are they? Because mm. we're on the ground here and they're not fucking here. Yes, every now and then you might see a few. And only today I drove into Byron Bay and there's a massive fucking convoy of um, trucks and diggers and everything else. And But, you know, we're like two weeks later, mate. And um, mm -hmm. But anyway, the point that I was making was I was having a crack at the government going, where are you? You know, why aren't you supporting the people in need? But then I've started to realize... The community have done what the government was supposed to do. They've supported yeah. each other. You know, they've stepped up. They've got the boats. They've hired the helicopters. And, you know, in the process, the government is bleeding this community dry financially because the community is providing the financial aid. The community is, you know, supplying the, 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 the medical aid, the, the, the food aid and everything else. But thanks to, you know, generous donors in our community, we're able to do that. But what yeah. we have discovered is we actually didn't need the government yes we yes the, the government is needed i'm not saying that they're not needed but what we've demonstrated for the most part is in the absence of government the communities come together mm -hmm. and i think that's we've seen that in COVID, you know and we're seeing that right now and i'm sure we're going to see that in sydney because i know sydney's being devastated as we speak right now and there'll always be some form of governance right there'll always be some level of leadership that is required but what we're discovering is that real governance is coming from our communities because what we're learning how to do is we're learning how to self-govern. Yeah. We're learning how to self-lead. We're learning how to self-manage because the government had so long has taken, and again, I'm not a politician and I'm not a political person, okay? And I know some people are going to say, fucking stay in your lane, came in. And the only time, <laughs> I've only spoken up twice in a political nature. The first time was the bushfires and the piss poor response that we saw then and the second time is now. Mm -hmm. um, but what I am what I am seeing is that there there has been so much dependence so much codependence created on the systems of governance that we have that people have got to the point where like well i don't know how to fucking help myself and so what does a natural disaster do it equips you with self-leadership skills self-management skills self-initiating skills you know because if you're sitting on the the roof of your house and okay uh or if you can see your neighbor sitting on the roof of their house okay and you're sitting there going well where's the fucking chopper but you got a boat in your backyard you're like, well now i can now i can self-initiate and i know it seems quite obvious but to me it, it's not you know, sometimes the most obvious things are ignorance. Uh, is it, sometimes the most obvious things we are ignorant to. And I know in my case, there's so many things I'm still ignorant to. And I have, I'm sure you know, many people happily point out those things. But yeah, the core of the message that I'm spouting right now is, you know, we are learning how to self-manage. We are learning how to self-govern. We are learning how to self-lead. There'll always be a level of governance that is going to be required in order for civilization. Because, you know, what's, what is civilization? It's how do we interact and interrelate in a civil nature? Where there's not chaos and disorder, because when there's an absence of civil civilization and civil relations, you have chaos and disorder, and in most cases we have war. Yeah. And so it's required, but we need to reinvent those models, I think. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. You know, and you can get really fucking voodoo woo woo and say we're moving into the Aquarian age. And if you start even exploring what that means, it is absolutely correlates with everything we're seeing right now. Yep. And. I want to take a huge um, pivot. Right, right. <laughs> um, Let's talk business. Yeah. Let's talk business. Okay. So, but obviously, it, it, you know, it kind of relates to well. Like you've, you've been able to have a massive influence. Uh, I'm not sure how much you've been able to raise and stuff, but I know you go, you would have had a, a lot of influence because you had a big social media because you've tackled a lot there. I'm really curious to know, you know, for the people who do tune to this as well, uh, who are wanting to grow their brand, grow their business, grow their message, their audience, all these sorts of things. Beautiful. Where did you kind of start? Like, cause you, you know, you've been in business for a long time and you're, you're like getting a lot of shit going, but now you're like, 
one that you know, massive audience here in Australia, global. Like, where does someone really start, like, to really start growing their audience and their message properly through social media? Let me share with you a very, very familiar story. I just interviewed a guy called David King. David King is the CEO of Sticky. I don't know if you've heard of Sticky Lollies in the Rocks. No. So when COVID hit in March 2020, he had a um, basically a um, little lolly shop. Well, it's not little, but it was a lolly, little hole in the wall lolly shop in the rocks, where he would you know get sugar, put it on a hot plate, melt it down, and make you know artistic candy. Right. But 60% of his business was walkthrough, was foot traffic, and the other 40% was made up of special events and weddings. But when COVID hit in March 2020, everything shuts down. There's no tourists in the rock, 60% of his business. There's no weddings, 20% of his business. There's no corporate events, the other 20% of his business. Mm. And so he's literally in tears you know, with his family, thinking he's going to have to move out of his house and go and live in the garage of his mother and father with his family. But then one day as they're shutting the doors, one of his team members said, you know, maybe we should, you know, post some videos on social media. Maybe we should do some. And they've done little bits and pieces. But then here's the story. Then they start doing lives on Facebook, lives on Instagram, and a few people start picking it up. And then before you know it, they start getting into TikTok and Snoop Dogg shares one of his things. A big comedian in the US does a parody with one of their duet, or does a duet, I should say, with one of their pieces of content. He starts being featured as the fastest workers alive because he, you know, the way, but what he did was he started filming what he did. He literally just started filming the creation of his product. And it was one part process, one part personality where he literally would start with a big pile of fucking molten sugar on a hot plate, melt it down into a liquid, then add colors to it, then make it bubble, and then mix and wrap and strap. And then before he knows it, he's cutting out these little Pikachus or he's cutting out these little peace symbols. The artistic nature of what he did was, it was incredible because it started with a pile of sugar and then it ended with a thousand little lollies with a smiley face on it. And so people were like, wow, this is really interesting. He said, yeah, you know what? I didn't try and market. I didn't try and sell. I just tried to add a bit of personality to the process that we do every single day. And as a natural consequence, our sales blew up. It got to the point where we would have our, we would release our lollies on the website and they'd sell out within 30 minutes. Globally. Wow. Globally. He's now an exporter. He's now, and probably one of the, the bigger exporters of artistic, or t- I don't know if you call it artisan, but art- artisan candy because, you know, he's making it himself. His story is phenomenal. He's this humble ex-lawyer. Who decided, mate, you should get him on your show without yeah. a shadow of a doubt. Sticky David Candy, King, is that what you said? Sticky Candy, CEO of Sticky, a family-owned confectionery business in the rocks. Twenty At this point when it was going on, 20, 19 years he'd been going. Not a, not a, not a, not, and he, wouldn't, he says, I'm not a clever man. I'm like, bullshit, you are a very clever man. You're a very intuitive man, very instinctive man. But all he did was video what he did every single day. And added a bit of personality to it, showed the process, started with, okay, the before, which is a pile of sugar, the after, which is, you know, a thousand of these little candies that have these beautiful, beautiful um, artistic expressions on them. And he was getting, I think he was saying his daughter gets upset if they only get 180,000 views on a video. (laughs) Their biggest video view on TikTok is 40 million. And he goes, you know, we've got lots of 20, 30, 10 million views all the time. He goes, and we get... Millions of people tuning in onto our lives. We do lives twice a week. And he says, wow. but now we're at complete capacity. Wow. And, I'm like, and he goes, but what, here's what we didn't do. We didn't say this, but he said this in, in so many words. If you listen, we didn't film any promotional content. We didn't film any direct sales or direct marketing content. We just filmed what we do. And again, if you look at my content, because people say, well, what do you do? I say, I just film me fucking doing what I, like this will turn into probably, I don't know. We'll probably turn it into, I don't know, 10 videos. 
Yeah, we'll probably turn this into 10 videos. And what am I doing? I'm just filming what I'm doing. Just having a chat. And, you know, I did a, an event last weekend where I was on, on stage for probably eight hours in total. Now, the team will probably turn that into 30 videos. Yeah. And there's no sell. There's no pitch. There's no marketing. There's the brand, me. There's brand positioning, the event that I'm at and I'm ta- that, I'm, that I'm speaking to. But I'm not saying buy my shit now. I'm not saying, you know, give me a lead. Click here now. And don't get me wrong. Yes, I do film those videos. But you're not going to see them unless you've been engaged. You're not going to mm. see them unless you've chosen to explore and respond. And so, how do you get an audience? You fucking help people. Now, how do you help people? That comes in a few different flavors. Okay, you can entertain them. You can make them laugh. You can make them cry. How do you do what you do? How can you add enough personality to what it is that you do every single day that people would want to watch that? Okay. And so, for me, I, I don't... Or, yeah, I can make people laugh. I can make them cry. But, and I can be entertaining, but I also know I help people a lot. How do I help people? I share my journey. You know, this is the first time and this is why this video will probably be, end up being a, a powerful set of videos because I've never talked about being suicidal before. I've never talked about having depression before. And so there's a lot of people out there who have been suicidal, who have been depressed, who I probably haven't been able to touch because I can't relate to them. Because, you know, I've said in the past, I've never experienced depression. I've never experienced suicidal thoughts. But now I'm like, okay, now I can say I've got that badge. Hmm. And so by virtue of that, I'm going to be able to talk and share with people the work that I've done. And then they're going to relate and go, well, I, I relate to that. I relate to him. I relate to his story. But more importantly, I'm now curious, what did he do? Hmm. What did he do? How did he get out of that rut? How did he you know, transition from feeling suicidal to being unstoppable again? You know, Because there's a lot of people out there right now who are teaching from a place of you know, great expression, but they've never had any hardship. And so, to me, the, at the core of what I'm saying here around any audience, attention, or content strategy is utility. How can I demonstrate what I do in a way that is helpful? Making someone laugh is very helpful, especially if they're having a bad day. Making someone cry is very helpful. Why? Because it gets them in touch with their emotions and it makes them feel. Mm. Being able to solve someone's problems or being able to relate to someone makes people feel understood. That's helpful because there's a lot of people right now who probably feel suicidal who go, I just don't under, no one understands what I'm going through right now. And I can look you in the fucking eye and say, I understand. I get it. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to wake up and wish, you know, that you'd be driving down the road and that a fucking truck would, you know, veer across and just take you out because it would be so much fucking easier. I know what that feels like. And, you know, there's probably just one person that needs to hear that goes, fuck, there's someone else that knows what I'm going through. That's helpful. That's helpful. And so, how do you build an audience? Be fucking helpful. Don't be a sales and marketing douchebag. Don't, there's too many of those. There's plenty of those around. It's old school, tra- traditional media psychology, which is direct market, direct response, direct sell. That's not yeah. what social media is about. That's about having, you know, that's like thinking, I'm going to invite 50 mates to a birthday party and 49 show up with, with a nice gift and a bottle of wine and one person shows up with a fucking sandwich board with a big offer on the front with a whole bunch of brochures and they walk around their party, your party, handing out brochures. You'll never invite that person back. Why? It's not that their behavior is disgraceful. It's just really out of context. Mm. You wouldn't show up with a sandwich board and brochures, you know, which is a commercial behavior in a social environment. But that's what most people do with social media. They, they, they show up in a social space doing, you know, industrial corporate commercial things and they wonder why they can't build an audience or they try too hard and this is the other thing with david i was talking about i was he was saying some of his most popular content is him making mistakes right where he one made a pikachu and he fucking dropped it and so there was a pikachu they had like i don't know ten thousand lollies of pikachu with no eyes in it 
So it was a, you know, an eyeless Pikachu. And so now he's got such an audience and such a following where people will often be on a live and they'll say, well, don't drop it, Dave. We don't want to, we want to make sure that you've got the eyes on this one. There are people that, you know, actual have another thing he did really incredibly. He now has a group that has over 35,000 people in it from around the world. It's called Sticky Friends. And it's got nothing to do with fucking lollies, although they share stuff. And he talks about global events. He talks about, you know, what's going on in the world, you know, um, gender issues, racial issues. He talks about the wow. stuff that he's interested in. And he's got 35,000 people from all over the world that are engaged every single day in a cause to talk about things. There's only one rule, be respectful. And if you're yep. not going to be respectful, get out. So I'm curious on this then, because um, like let, let's, uh, and a month of your time, so we'll wrap this up soon. But let's look at Grant Cardone, for example. He's yep. so promote, promote, promote. You got to promote, promote, yep, promote, yep, promote, yep, promote. Yep. So is it some point, like, is it, you know, you got to get started being really relatable, is it, you know, what's your sort of opinion on that? Because he's kind of on the other end of the spectrum of what he's you're saying. totally on the other end of the spectrum. What not to do. Totally on the other end of the spectrum. But again, I'd say go and look at his engagement. Is it not very good? Well, I don't know. Go and look at, bring up Grant Cardone right now. Oh, fucking, I'm not calling out Grant Cardone. But again, fuck, maybe I am. I don't mean to. I like Grant. He's a good guy. <laughs> and honestly, he is a good guy. I did a podcast with the guy. And he's an incredible man. But he's a, that's his personality. Yeah, I think it works good for him. And this is what you've got to understand. His his personality works well for his personality because it's his personality. Show me Facebook. Yeah. His and, personality and, works because that's what's authentic for Grant. Yeah. Grant, he, know, Grant he knows his audience too, right? He like does, that, but Grant, yeah. Grant openly admits, he goes, I am brash. I am arrogant. You know, yeah. I, I do it. You know, the guy's got 6.7 million followers on, on Facebook. Scroll up. Let me see some engagement. Scroll up. Let me see some engagement. Scroll the fuck up. There we go. You know, and we're looking at some posts here that, and I'm getting, yeah, there's, if you go and look at his engagement, you know, he's posting like every couple of hours, but... Um, because people don't really want to engage with the call to actions and the promotions and stuff, is that what you're saying? really, but some people do. Yeah. And his audience probably loves that. But again, when you go and look at, um, you know, the the engagement that we... And again, I'm not trying to say I'm better than Grant, but when you look at the yeah. engagement that we get right now, we get incredible engagement in comparison. Yeah. Why? Because we're actually producing and we're posting meaningful content yeah i've got a, a, i think our, our, our lead video up there oh you're not on how did you do that but if you're not on that it's all good but anyway um and again I, I, and i'd say oh gosh i'm not trying to call anybody out and look at tony robbins is another great example of he could provide so much more value to his audience yeah but he retains that value for his clients and for his you know for his paid seminar guests and maybe that works well for him. maybe i'm the one that's doing it wrong yeah. You know, but what I'm saying is we're talking about audience here. We're talking about engagement here, you know, and when you look at, and again, I'm just looking at the, the first few posts on our Facebook page here, like we're, we're crushing the levels of engagement right now in, com in contrast to so many other people because we're talking about meaningful interactions. We're talking about meaningful things. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. So, focus on meaningful things, relating to people, actually giving them things to engage with and and also, people would also dare to say, well, Kerwin, but yeah, you're posting also content about fucking parenting. You know, you're also posting content about relationships. I am. But guess what most business owners have? Mm -hmm. Kids. Guess what most parent, uh, you know, business owners are in? A relationship. Oh, but Kerwin, you also talk about health. Yeah, I talk about everything that I do. And that's where the thing, I don't niche myself to the point where I only have a certain segment of people listening to me. I have parents, I have literally um, 
people who work in child in the, for the police force and for services in child abuse units all over the world that contact me saying that they share my content. I have psychologists and psychiatrists from all over the world content, contacting me saying they share my content. Now, here's the thing. Maybe that police officer isn't a business owner, but maybe they're going to share it with their network. And I guarantee you there's going to be at least one person in that network that is a business owner. And so for me, I, I've, I, I don't mind having talking about things that, and people might say, well, stay in your own wheelhouse. And my wheelhouse is my life. And if someone says to me, you know, you don't have the right to talk about psychology, it's some bullshit I do. I fucking oath I do. Not only do I have a number of the top psychologists, you know, who are my clients who validate what I say, but I've also been through the mud. You know, I've been through, you know, I probably spent more money on therapy than most people have spent on personal development. Yeah. And, and although that doesn't qualify me as a psychologist, it certainly gives me, uh, you know, something to talk about. Yeah. And so I've learned what works for me. I've learned what doesn't work for me. I've, I've seen what works for my clients. I've seen what hasn't worked for my clients. And I'm happy to talk about that. And so I know yeah. I'm going on a bit of a rant right now, but the rant that I'm saying is you've got to be helpful and you've got to talk about the things that are true for you. And as we, what Grant has done, he talks about the th he is that personality. He is that promoter. You know, he, and he does what he does bloody, bloody well. Yeah. But yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I think with Grant, he's really like, he, he knows exactly who he's talking to. And he's talking to, you know, those type of Americans who are the loud and proud. It's like, you've like, you know, he's, he's from Texas. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's, yeah. He's also talking to that, the, the, the values, right. Which is the, yes. the greed, you know, Three. the greed, the, the desire, that audacious yeah. desire to have so much more than what I could possibly ever use. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not wearing a fucking $30,000 watch. I've got like a hundred dollar whoop on <laughs> You know, <laughs> don't get me wrong. I've got a, I've got a $15,000 watch at home, Yeah. but I don't wear it. Why? Because it has no value to me. I'm going to give yeah. it to my son, yeah. you know, when he's 18. Um, and so, you know, I don't post about my cars, although I've got two of the most sickest four wheel drives you've ever seen in your life, but I don't post about my cars because, and you know what? I'm actually going to start posting about my trucks because I fucking love my trucks. <laughs> I do, but I don't drive a Lamborghini. Yeah. I do have a the most wicked ass C sixty three you've ever heard in your life. That when you turn it on, it sounds like the <laughs> devil's farting. Um, but I don't. But my audience, for the most part, probably won't relate to that. Yeah, you know? I mean, they'll probably be polarized by that. But um, yeah. my trucks, on the other hand, fuck any 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 man with a pulse would love my trucks. They're amazing. <laughs> okay, so then when we're talking about content and stuff, at what at what point would you crank it onto ads? Like if you're posting, it's understanding the sequence, right? Yeah. And so old school sequence is direct response. Sorry, direct market, direct response, direct sell. So you've got a market to get a lead. Okay, once you've acquired the lead, you then remarket to those leads consistently to produce the sales. Because at a traditional marketing sense, less than 2% of your audience in a traditional marketing sense will buy. That's 2% of your respondents. But most people in an old traditional sense would only capture the data of those two people because they're the two people who bought. Mm. No, 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 no. Old school traditional marketing tells us we capture everyone's details. The 2% who buy are our low-hanging fruit. We then remarket to the other 98% consistently until they're ready to buy. Right. Now, that philosophy is really helpful when you take the psychology of that philosophy and you apply it to the social. Okay, so people... And so what we do is we actually advertise videos that have no commercial call to action at all. None. But we will put them in, in a funnel. And everyone knows what a funnel is, right? So it looks a little like this. Okay, and you'll, you'll have five videos where people will, will go through those. They'll watch the first video, and the first video could be on, I don't know, parenting. And then the second video could be on, you know, leadership. And the third video is on scale. And the fourth video is on, on you know, something related, performance related. And so they get down to the bottom. Okay, but what we, okay, I'll give you actually, I'll give you something a little bit more tactical. And so normally what we do is we categorize our funnels into themes.
And so it could be a parenting theme, it could be a performance theme, it could be a, a health theme. But once they get down the bottom of those five videos, or once they've, because we might start with an audience of, let's call it 10,000 with video number one. And then all the people who watch video number one, we retarget with video number two. And all the people who watch video number two, we retarget with video number three and retarget with video number four and so forth. And so we might start with a, an audience of 10,000, but by the time they get to the fifth video, it might only be 200. But now what they've demonstrated to us is they like our content and they're interested in this theme. And so we have about, I don't know, it's got to be close to 100 plus different assets right now that are eBooks about that theme. And so we get to the, they get to the bottom of that funnel and then we retarget them with a call to action that says, hey, listen, if you're interested in you know, deep diving into this subject more and you've already demonstrated through your actual behaviors, not through a button, it's not a behavioral button, it's not an interest button, it's a behavior, they've actually yeah. demonstrated through their behavior interest. in that theme. Yeah. Now, I'm offering you the opportunity to get more information about that, which you've already told me with your behavior you're interested in. And so now my cost per click is going to be much lower. My click-through rate is going to be much higher because I'm not marketing direct at the top of the funnel. I'm marketing at the bottom of the funnel. But I, don't, I might only be paying two to three to four cents per video view. And down the bottom, I might be paying $1.65 for the conversion versus if you put that conversion at the top of the funnel, you're going to be paying five to 10 to 20 to 30, 40 bucks for that conversion. Your click-through rate is going to be low. Your conversion rate is going to be low. My conversion rate at top of the bottom of funnel is very high. Why? Because I've already demonstrated interest. I've already yeah. built... You know, like, trust, respect. Now, well, they've now downloaded an ebook. So what? Well, I've now got their first name, email address, and mobile phone number. And so now I can actually start providing more value in their inbox. But now I put them into another funnel, and now this funnel's gone from being an engagement funnel to a nurture funnel. And so the nurture funnel might have befores and afters. It might have case studies and testimonials. It might have more process. Okay, and by the time they get down to the bottom of the second funnel, I've already been hitting them with emails, and some of those emails are now direct marketing. And by direct marketing, he says, you know, would you, can I get you on the call, on a call to offer you more value? Can I show you how do I can solve your problems personally? Mm. Yeah. Mere ex, do you remember the mere exposure effect? Yeah, I'm I familiar. We spoke about this last time. Mere exposure effect is a psychological phenomena whereby people tend to develop a preference for things once they become familiar with them. It's also called the familiarity principle. Now, what this means is you need to see something, a brand, a product, a service, a, a number of times before something in your brain clicks and it goes from being foreign to being intimate. It goes from being extrinsic to being intrinsically curious. And you go, hmm, I'm now interested. Now, you probably know this yourself. You need to see things a few times before you actually respond to them. Now, back in 2005, the average number of exposures required were 5.4. In 2012, it was 12.8. And by 2020, they, they predicted it was going to be around 20 exposures were required in order for that. So, and why, why is it going up so significantly? Because there's a lot more information in the market. There's a lot more brands in the market there's never been more brands in the market than there has been today so how do you cut through you've got to be interesting you can't be a douche mm. you've got to be interesting you've got to capture their attention for them to be observed and how do you get someone's attention 20 times help them help them 20 times so now i've taken them through my first funnel of five i've had five exposures if i'm really good they've clicked on me and they've gone and checked out other videos and so i've just got what you, what you call you know peripheral exposures but I've now got their email address, okay? And I've now put them in the second funnel. So I'm you know, in the second funnel. By the end of the second funnel, there are 10 exposures, but I'm in their inbox now and I'm sending them an email every couple of days. Now, some people might email every day. I don't do that. I don't like that. And it depends on where they are in the sequence. But give it, you know, let's call it three or four months. I'm at 20, it's not even three months. I'm at 20 exposures with most people in three or four weeks. In some cases, three or four days. Why? Because I'm multi-platform. I'm not yeah. just an Instagram guy. I'm not just a Facebook guy. I'm not just a TikTok guy. I'm not just a LinkedIn guy. I'm across all the platforms. And so by virtue, oftentimes people will see that there's different content on different platforms. And so now they see me, you know, once today on Facebook, they see me, you know, once today on TikTok, they see me maybe once tomorrow on Instagram. 
but that compounds after a while to the point where I'm saturated and I now know who I am and I've now activated and you want some strategy, here's some good strategy. What do you want to be known for? And this is where we start looking at the Google brain. Every every piece of technology has been modeled on the human brain. The computer that we're doing this on right now has been modeled on the human brain. Why? Because it literally has been trying to replicate human technology. You're a trillion dollars of biotech in a box, but no one gave you the fucking walkthrough. You literally are the most complex system of biotechnology that has ever been created, but no one gave you the manual. Yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah, this is wicked guys. If, if this is the first episode and I was going to say, and, and you're also hitting podcasts, right? So this podcast will go out, this will go out to my whole subscriber base. This will go on my YouTube. This will go, we'll, we'll create. So on my end, like I'll create micro content on Instagram and stuff. We'll put all that out. Um, so I freaking love it. But guys, if you're just listening to this episode and you're like, man, Cohen's a fucking legend. Um, it's cause he is, but go and listen to our other episode we did because I was even just thinking, I'm like, like I'll put this episode out and then maybe even make another episode and combine them together. Cause it's like what we went on the last time mixed with this would be like two hours to just amplify your fucking life mentally and and in the business wise. Let let me finish the Google brain for a second. Cause this is a really important bookend. I'm going to say a keyword right now, and you're going to tell me the very first thing that you think of when I give you this keyword. Soft drink. Coke. Fast food. McDonald's. Do you know why you did that? Do you uh, drink Coke? No. Do you eat McDonald's? No. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So, they're the two brain... What does Google do? What does Google do? It's It ranks websites based on what? Yeah, I guess the popularity of it. Well, it ranks websites based on keywords and phrases and the level of popularity and authority that those websites have. But fundamentally, you know, you don't go to Google and type in a feeling. Okay, you go to Google and you type in a word or a phrase. Okay? And so what Google has done is they've replicated what's called a referential index. And so your brain works on referential indexes and that's how you build everything. Everything is based on references and comparison and contrast and pattern recognition and connecting those patterns so that you create greater levels of understanding and density. And so... The reason that you say Coke, even though you're not a Coke drinker, the reason you say McDonald's, even though you don't eat that shit food, is because you have been conditioned over the last 20, 30 years of your life, every time you hear or see Coke, every time you think of, every time you see Coke, it's been associated with soft drink. Every time you see McDonald's, it's been associated with fast food. And you've had those exposures so many times with such frequency and consistency over the last 20 years that now all someone has to do is say soft drink and you think of coke you might buy the bottle of water but you think of coke mm-hmm. that is the most dominant position of a brand mm-hmm. in any market is what who owns the number one position in your brain for that keyword or that phrase now i could go through this and say real estate and i could say insurance companies and this is where we start getting loads of fragmentation but what coke and um mcdonald's did at a very opportune time is they had enormous amounts of budget to invest in what we refer to as branding content because you never saw a direct response ad for coke did you buy unless it's coming from woolies but then that's a secondary promoter you know coke never has direct response mcdonald's never has direct response they do brand feelings associations keywords so the question you need to ask yourself before you even start creating your content or while you start creating is, what do I want to be known for? What are the keywords and phrases that I want to be known for? And how do I associate my content, my brand with those keywords? How do I strategically, effortlessly, seamlessly and authentically drop those words and those phrases in the conversations and the dialogues and in the branding that I'm putting out there so that at some point when someone says podcast, they think of Dream Out Loud. They think of Morgan. 
you know, because mm. that's what you want. That's what you want to be own. You want to own that. And Morgan, you're probably one of the the better people in the young space that is doing that. And why? Because you're providing really good value. I can't tell you how many podcast interviews I've had. You know, I'd probably say hundreds, if not a, a thousand or more. And you, you're 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 a highlight, mate. I, I I get asked back a lot on people's podcasts, and I don't say yes very often. And I'm not trying to piss in your pocket here or your audience's pocket. What I'm saying is, you're really good at what you do. And what makes you good at what you do is you extract value. You don't just sit there and piss around and you, you don't play at the surface. The first thing we did in this conversation, mate, for those of you listening, we didn't get on here to talk about fucking soul work and dark <laughs> you know, and shadow work. We got on here to talk about strategy, which we're getting into now, which is fun. But what you did is you got interested because why? You're interested in that stuff. And guess what? Your audience is going to be interested in why? Because they're like you. And you ask good questions. You engage in a meaningful way. You do good things. And as a result, you know, you've got one of the top podcasts in the country when it comes to what you do in your space. You're always consistently in the top 100, are you not? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Mate, I freaking love it. I appreciate you so much uh, for coming on as well because I know this, this is your first day back in action properly, first you're day saying. back in action yeah, yeah. For, for podcast stroke and heart surgery, mate. <laughs> I was nervous, ask Paul, I was nervous as fuck. I almost canceled today. I almost wiped the day off and I was like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Yeah. And the only reason I followed through on this is because Paul was up in Kurokai um, shoveling fucking <sighs> shit out of houses and, and getting cows off verandas. And he said, mate, are we going to do the podcast this week? Because if you're not, I'm going to stay up here and keep helping people. And I was like, mate, I need to get back in the studio. I need to get my head in the game. I'm, I feel like I'm in a mental rut and I need to just get my brain working. And then last night I was like, fuck, I'm going to cancel because I don't <laughs> feel good. I don't feel like I can do this. My brain's not in the right spot. And then I was like, if I cancel right now, I literally have just robbed a whole community of Paul's services and I'm not going to do that yeah. to them and I'm not going to do that to Paul. And so I'm glad Paul unconsciously manipulated me to be here today. So that <laughs> Nice I job, Paul. With you. <laughs> and it's good to be having conversations again. Yeah, mate, I really appreciate you coming on. Look, for, for everyone who's uh, just got onto you for the first time, where can they find you and get access to all this epic content mate, you put out? Kerwinraid.com, uh, Facebook, Instagram, tic- LinkedIn, TikTok, YouTube. Um, we've got the podcast, The Unstoppable Podcast as well. We also have a couple of events that people might be interested in. Fast Growth Summit, which is a social media series. We're actually launching one of those. We've got one in Sydney and in Newcastle. I don't know what the fucking dates are, but they're coming up soon. We've got the Accelerator, which we give away free online, which is a five-day training. We've got Nail It and Scarlet, which is a three-day, does what it says on the book, which is um, we show people how to nail it and scale it. And that's, look, I'm not good at a lot of things. I can talk you know, with a mouthful of marbles under wet cement, but if there's one other thing I'm really good at, I'm really good at showing businesses how to scale. I'm really good at showing businesses how to put the fundamentals in place that enable them to grow, whether they be a startup. You know, We have clients ranging from startup all the way to 300 million. You know, We represent about 160 or different industries and about, you know, 96 countries around not 96 what is it 54 countries around the world um so we know we're really good at what we do nail it and scale it but we also have k2 elite which is our high-end training for um entrepreneurs and we have power to create which is very much aligned with the psychology and the biology and the quantum mechanical metaphysical aspects of the conversations that we have and it's really probably one of the most intensive personal development soul development um emotional development programs that um you'll find anywhere in the world power to create and you can find all that in kerwinray.com love it man all right so if you were to go back to your 18 year old self with all this newfound wisdom you have yeah what would be 30 seconds of advice you'd give him keep going i think you asked me this last time as well I think I said the same thing. I don't even know. But it's like literally, how, like imagine that as an intervention though because if you went back and said something different, you would fuck it all up for him. 
You would literally fuck it up for them because they go, oh, I've got to do something different. Sliding doors, you know, sliding doors. You do one thing different, your whole entire life could potentially change. And all I'd say to my 18-year-old self is, keep going. Keep going. You got this. You know what you're doing. You feel like you don't. You're going to fuck it up plenty, but just keep going. That's all you need to do is just keep going. One foot in front of the other. You're going to be knocked down eight times, stand up nine. Thank you so much for listening. And if you got value from this episode, it goes such a long way. If you can just take 20 seconds of your time, leave me a five-star rating and written review, then screenshot this episode and share it to your story. And make sure you tag me for that shout out. And until next time, guys, go out there and dream out loud.